Good morning. This is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It's January 9th, 2019. Man, yeah, I've been away for a month, a whole month. I totally took off, bro. Sorry, but it just kind of had to happen. Had to sort some stuff out. It's pretty cool, though. Feel good. I feel real good. I mean, yeah, I'm kind of excited for this year. Um, already, 2019 in in the whole crypto sphere is turning out to be pretty weird. I'm actually kind of surprised because it was almost like, I don't know, like, January 2nd hit and I'm looking at crypto Twitter and I'm like, what is going on? You know, I mean, there's like, you know, personalities that I, that I've been following for a couple of years that, you know, I thought, you know, were, were centered and, and rooted in a particular line of thought. No longer, man, like a couple of people have gone complete one eighties and anybody who uh, knows who uh, Kevin Pham is, kind of knows what I'm talking about. That's one cat that uh, has definitely, uh, wow, turned a, a, a complete 180. Not not sure what's going on, but yeah, whatever. It's a new year. New discoveries are imminent, man. Totally imminent. So uh, today, getting back into it for the, uh, this is going to be episode 49 of Bitcoin and, and um I think I'm just going to take it real easy. You know, I think this is probably going to be a pretty short one. Um, so the, I am going to do morning roundup. Uh, we're going to uh, talk about a couple of stories here. That's about it, though. Um, I'll make some commentary, but uh, we're not going to do Daily train wrecked, and we're not going to do uh, Joke Corner. We're not going to do uh, Marty's Bent or anything. Not that I don't like Marty. Marty's still cool, but I'm just going to like ease back into this. I mean, I, I'm, I just feel that it's probably necessary to just go easy. So what I want to start with is a Forbes.com article, and its uh, title is, One of the World's Richest People is Backing Bitcoin. Here's why. This is written by Billy, Billy Bambro. Uh, for Forbes, and he starts off, Bitcoin has its fair share of backers and detractors, but it's not every day one of the world's richest people, in this case, Hong Kong billionaire Li Kaxing, throws their weight behind the nascent technology. Li, who's 90 years old and known as Superman, has invested in the upcoming Bitcoin and cryptocurrency platform Backed. Through his venture capital firm, Horizon Ventures. Backed announced it had raised 
182.5 million in its Series A funding round last week in a blog post with Horizon Ventures fronting a portion of that. Bitcoin and cryptocurrency investors who have weathered the so-called crypto winter have been somewhat cheered by a positive start to 2019, with many eagerly looking forward to major global stock exchanges offering Bitcoin futures, contracts, and the highly anticipated backed Bitcoin platform. The backed Bitcoin platform, which is being developed with New York Stock Exchange owner Intercontinental Exchange, as well as partnerships with coffee shop chain Starbucks and PC giant Microsoft, plans to offer Bitcoin futures trading from the first quarter of this year and open Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies up to a wider retail market. Later this year, Backed will allow people to buy, sell, store, and spend cryptocurrencies through Microsoft's cloud, while Starbucks will let them convert Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies to U.S. dollars to make purchases. Okay, this is not, however, Lee's first foray into the world of Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. Lee, who is worth about $34.9 billion, according to Forbes' yearly billionaires list, invested in Bitcoin payments processor BitPay, back in 2013 and blockchain technology provider Blockstream in 2016 through Horizon Ventures. Lee was joined last year by British billionaire and founder of Virgin, Sir Richard Branson, who was one of a number of investors who put $30 million into BitPay. Bad play, guys. The Bitcoin price has struggled in recent months, following falling throughout 2018 as investors struggle with a hangover from Bitcoin's epic bull run in 2017, which sent the price from under $1,000 at the beginning of the year to almost $20,000 in under 12 months. Many Bitcoin investors and traders are looking forward, <clears throat> sorry, are looking toward things like a U.S. Bitcoin exchange traded fund or ETF to boost the price, though those expectations have been somewhat dampened lately as the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission frets over potential price manipulation. The Winklevoss twins of Facebook founding fame, who have now turned to Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies, founding their own exchange, took to social network Reddit to talk up the possibility of the U.S. regulator approving a Bitcoin ETF later this year. And that does it. Kind of interesting uh, that's, this dude's got a lot of cash, man. I mean, it's like, he's just at, what was his net worth? My God, $34.9 billion. Um, yeah, he's, he's got, he's got some, some change to throw around. So it will be interesting to see how, uh, how backed, uh, how this whole backed thing plays out. Uh, like the article was stating, the SEC is twiddling their thumbs, and I, actually, they're probably sitting there sucking their thumbs because they really don't even know how to proceed. You know, how do you block? How do you? How do you block price manipulation on something that you barely can wrap your head around? I mean, that's. I'm sorry, man, but that that's got to be. That I don't know, man. That just seems like it would be very, very difficult to be able to do. Um, we, you know, we shall see if they act, if backed actually pulls it 
and uh, gets it off the ground in the first quarter of this year. Um, I'm not, I'm kind of not holding my breath. None of us really need this to happen. It would be interesting to see what happens, but I'm not all that, I'm not all that excited about futures really. Um, (laughs) I don't even trade coin for coin. So anyway, that's, that's all of that Forbes article. Uh, next thing up in my stack um, is going to actually, uh, it kind of follows on the heels of that article, but only in so far that I, I, I kind of cringed when, I, when they were talking about his investment in BitPay. And the reason is this, uh, Gab.com, uh, their Twitter handle is at GetOnGab, G-E-T-O-N-G-A-B. For those of the uninitiated who've not been around for a while, Gab was one of the, I don't know, not one of the first, but definitely one of the early players in the space that um, decided that they were going to take and, uh, let's see, they were going to involve themselves in, in a way in the decentralized idea that blockchain and Bitcoin uh, technology brought about. Uh, however, it became very evident that Gab was not decentralized. And what Gab is, is, well, Gab is, I don't want to say a Twitter clone. That's not very fair. It is like Twitter insofar that you have a, an account and then you can like broadcast out um, in, in Twitter parlance is, you know, when you tweet out something, you're basically broadcasting uh, to your the people who follow you or have you on a list. Gab is very much the same way. Clearly, it is different and owned by different people. It's much smaller. It doesn't have the type of following that Twitter has. But as of late, uh, Gab has undergone a fairly serious and traumatic transformation because they were deplatformed from damn near everything, from payment processors to hosting to registration, to mobile. I mean, you name it, man. Almost every sector in the online community blacklisted these guys because they were allowing right-wing hate mongers, whatever the hell that is, to uh, be platformed. So they themselves became deplatformed, which should scare the hell out of everyone. I don't really care what it is that you say. I don't care what it is you believe. If I don't like any of it, I'm going to make the conscious decision to not listen to your ass. I'm sorry, but that's the way it is. I don't need anybody making decisions for me because sometimes, actually most of the time, they're going to always make the wrong decisions for me. So um, the reason that I'm bringing this up is because BitPay was one of the payment processors that Gab was using, or actually they didn't even get to use them for like, I don't think they got to use them for any more than a week before BitPay deplatformed their payment processing. Okay. So Gab.com or at get on Gab has tweeted out the following. Gab.com is the most censored website in history. Payment bans. Stripe, PayPal, Square, BitPay, Coinbase, hosting bans, Joyent, Azure, Backblaze, Registrar bans, 
Oh, Asia Registry, GoDaddy, Mobile Bands, App Store, and Google Play. I mean, that's that is a huge. That's a that is a long, long list of people of uh, various platforms banning Get On Gab because reasons, whatever the hell they are, and Gab. Uh, one of the reasons, one of the reasons I say that they've had a cha- a major transformation is the fact that they're now they're now accepting uh, Bitcoin via BTC Pay Server, and nobody nobody can shut down BTC Pay Server at least not at least not that we know of. Right? Um, it'll be interesting to see uh, how how this um, how this transformation affects the. Uh, gab.com's um ability to function in the in the space but there's more and more and more people are starting to become deplatformed and the more that they become deplatformed like gab was deplatformed um you got Jordan Peterson who is selectively going to deplatform from um what is it Patreon before Patreon gets a chance to ban him i think that's great and it's not just him. There's a whole, I mean, it's, there is a laundry list of people who I guess, I don't, I don't know why they're considering him right wing Nazi. I mean, I haven't heard anything him that he's ever said that would be right wing or Nazi. I don't know, man. It just, it's all, it's all, it's all bull in either event. Um, I'm, I, you know, I mean, I get on Gab and I've seen hateful crap on there. I, I just, I choose not to read it. That's, that's my choice. Gab gives me the choice as to whether or not I want to follow somebody who's spewing garbage or somebody who has something interesting to say. In, in either event, uh, I think 2019 is going to be not the year of, but I think it's going to be a year of some fairly transparent transformative issues of watching people become deplatformed from mainstream sites like Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, uh, things like that. I think that, I think the acceleration, I think they're going to put the pedal to the metal on that. I think they're going to start ripping people off of their platforms. And the more they do that, the more they open up people to use decentralized uh, solutions even if they're not truly decentralized, because there's not a lot of them that are truly decentralized. Even Steemit is starting to deplatform people, and they're supposedly decentralized. Now they, they can't they can't block their uh, their wallet because uh, you can get to you can get to your Steemit wallet through other means. But yeah, they they can definitely ban you from posting there. So watch out for Steemit. I mean, you know, even in our own space, you're going to have to watch out for garbage. I mean, it, it, maybe 2019 will be the year of taking out the trash. I don't know. Let's move on. Uh, next up in my stack is that the piece from time magazine that came out that kind of surprised, it certainly surprised me and I ain't the only one because out of all the mainstream rags and, and garbage outlets, time has become one of the tippy top garbage outlets that there is. And yet they publish why Bitcoin matters for freedom. 
So uh, this is written by Alex Gladstein. It was re- it was published December twenty eighth of last year, um, and it begins in the border city of Cucuta. Venezuelan refugees stream into Colombia, searching for food to feed their families. Years of high inflation projected to top one million percent. Think about that for a second. That's this is me talking. One million percent inflation. If you had a million dollars at the end of this, at the end of this uh, inflation cycle that they're talking about, you'd have one dollar of purchasing power. Okay, let's continue. Uh, years of high inflation projected to top one million percent has turned bolivares into scrap paper. More than 3 million Venezuelans have fled since 2014 and 5,500 exit for good each day. According to the United Nations, the exodus is on the scale of Syria and is now one of the world's worst refugee crises. In Venezuelans, as Venezuelans escape, they leave with close to nothing, desperate and vulnerable. Because they live under authoritarianism, Venezuelans have no way to reform the policies that have destroyed their economy. They can't hold their rulers accountable through free and fair elections or campaign for change without fear of reprisal. As they stand in hours-long lines for rationed groceries and medicine and watch their life savings disappear, it can seem like there are no options. But innovation happens at the edge. Today, Venezuelans are adopting and experimenting with Bitcoin to evade hyperinflation and strict financial controls. Speculation, fraud, and greed in the cryptocurrency and blockchain industry have overshadowed the real liberating potential of Satoshi Nakamoto's invention. For people living under authoritarian governments, Bitcoin can be a valuable financial tool as a censorship-resistant medium of exchange. Take, for example, remittances. After ravaging the domestic economy, the Venezuelan regime is now taking a cut of money coming in from abroad. New laws force Venezuelans to go through local banks for foreign transactions and require banks to disclose information on how individuals get and use their money. According to Alejandro Machado, a cryptocurrency researcher at the Open Money Initiative, a wire transfer from the United States can now encounter a fee as high as 56% as it passes from dollars to bolivares in a process that can last several weeks. Most recently, Venezuelan banks have have, under pressure from the government, even prevented clients using foreign IP addresses from accessing their online accounts. To circumvent this bureaucracy, some Venezuelans have started to receive Bitcoin from their relatives abroad. It's now possible to send a text message to your family asking for Bitcoin and receive it minutes later for a tiny fee. Government censorship isn't possible as Bitcoin isn't routed through a bank or third party and instead arrives into your phone wallet in a peer-to-peer way. Then you can, moments later, sell your new Bitcoin into fiat through a local Craigslist-style exchange or load it onto a flash drive, or even memorize a recovery phrase and escape Venezuela with complete control over your savings. A popular alternative, have your family wire money to a bank in Colombia, walk across the border to withdraw, then walk back to Venezuela with cash in hand, can take far longer, cost more, and be far more dangerous than the Bitcoin option. 
Venezuela isn't the only place where people can use Bitcoin as an escape valve. In Zimbabwe, Robert Mugabe printed endless amounts of cash and inflated the savings of his citizens into nothing. But his successors can't print more Bitcoin. In China, Xi Jinping can track all of your transactions on Alipay and WePay, but he cannot orchestrate mass surveillance on all Bitcoin payments. In Russia, Vladimir Putin can target an NGO and freeze its bank account, but he can't freeze its Bitcoin wallet. In a refugee camp, you might not be able to access a bank, but as long as you can find an internet connection, you can receive Bitcoin without asking permission and without having to prove your identity. Naturally, we must pay attention to the dark side of emerging technology. Public intellectuals like Yuval Noah Hara and Elon Musk have warned that artificial intelligence and big data could strengthen tyrants and authoritarians around the world. Regimes in Venezuela, Iran, and Saudi Arabia are even trying to mutate and centralize Bitcoin's concept of peer-to-peer digital money to create state-controlled cryptocurrencies like the Petro. Which could allow them to more effectively censor transactions, surveil user accounts, and evade sanctions. But decentralizing technologies can provide an, a countering force. Beyond Bitcoin, there are encrypted communications apps like and browsers like Signal and Tor, privacy-preserving pre- cryptocurrencies like Zcash and Monero, mesh networking devices like Gotenna, and censorship-resistant storage systems like IPFS. By building on and investing in tools like these, we can ensure that our cities, social networks, and financial systems don't turn into tools of surveillance and control. Cash remains one of the best ways to exercise free speech. Paper or metal money is virtually anonymous and can be used without government surveillance, but in places like Venezuela, where bills are weighed in stacks by the kilogram, even for small transactions, cash is increasingly impractical and it's vulnerable to theft or seizure. And from China to Sweden, governments and companies are driving us toward toward a cashless world. It's essential that we explore electronic money that can preserve the peer-to-peer quality of cash for future generations. When you pay someone with software like Venmo, you might use three or four financial intermediaries, even though the recipient might be standing in front of you. Each intermediary can potentially censor, surveil, and profit. And the billions of humans living under repressive regimes can't expect most payment software in the future to remain as innocent and benevolent as Venmo. As Nassim Nicholas Taleb has written, Bitcoin is an insurance policy against an Orwellian future. To be sure, Bitcoin is still a nascent technology and doesn't offer cutting-edge usability, speed, or privacy. But engineers are constantly working to bring these those attributes to Bitcoin by building better apps and on-ramps. Upgrading the base protocol and creating new second-layer technologies like the Lightning Network, which could eventually mask and dramatically scale the number of possible Bitcoin transactions per second. In the same way that the mobile phone began as an absurdly expensive, barely functional, and only available to the elite, Bitcoin continues to evolve and will become easier to use and more accessible for the masses in the future. Less than 1% of the world's population, no more than 40 million people, have ever used Bitcoin. 
But according to the Human Rights Foundation, more than 50% of the world's population lives under an authoritarian regime. If we invest the time and resources to develop user-friendly wallets, more exchanges, and better educational materials for Bitcoin, it has the potential to make a real difference for the 4 billion people who can't trust their rulers or who can't access the banking system. For them, Bitcoin can be a way out. Okay, that's the end of the the time article. Um, Again, I'm, I'm... kind of surprised that time allowed this article to see the light of day because it's a very good article about the argument for Bitcoin. Um, you know, 50% of the world's population lives under an authoritarian regime. Well, I don't know about the number. I haven't vetted it myself and it's impossible for someone like me to be able to do so. But if I, tr- if I were to trust that number, that's a lot of people. That's a lot of people. I mean, even if the authoritarian regime right now is fairly benevolent, I mean, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say it. Just because you're authoritarian doesn't necessarily make you evil, but it certainly makes you have, it certainly affords you the potential to become evil. And generally speaking, that's exactly what happens. Um, that's why I don't like authoritarianism, but you won't catch me saying that all authoritarianism is is non-benevolent because a lot of them start out that way, but they quickly and surely do become non-benevolent. In either event, you got only 40 million people of the world's population have ever used Bitcoin. Now think about that for just a second. Only 1% of the world's population, the usage of, of Bitcoin that have used Bitcoin has caused a price to go from $0 per Bitcoin all the way to $20,000 per Bitcoin, all the way back to it's sitting at 4000 yeah, right at $4,000 per Bitcoin. Now, most of the run-up in 2017 was just hype. I mean, it was, it was, it was fear of missing out. It was any idiot that you know, decided that it's a real good idea to go mortgage your family's home so that you can buy $17,000 Bitcoin. I mean, don't do stuff like that, guys. I mean, don't do it. Don't do it with silver. Don't do it with gold. Don't do it with stocks. Don't take out a credit card to invest in something. I mean, yeah, there there are always the stories of people who did well by doing that. But man, just assume it ain't going to work out for you. Uh, that's just the smart way to go. And But if 1% of the population, with the fear of missing out, with the utility, with being able to evade authoritarian regimes, with the Venezuelans basically, I mean, they act, if they bought at 17000 and it re- and their price reduced to $4,000 compared to the inflation rate of Venezuela, they're still making money. Because if they had held it in cash, they would have lost even more. It's re, it, it becomes it becomes ridiculous when we start thinking about the arguments of people like Noriel Rubini, um, and all the people that say, "Oh, well, Bitcoin's going to zero. Well, you don't know that. Nobody knows that. There's there's no calculation that you can perform that will predict anything." like that. And for a Nobel laureate to say things like that is, in my opinion, uh, 
I don't even know how to say it. There's there's no words for just how ridiculously naive that that is, especially coming from a Nobel laureate in economics. You, uh, Noriel should know better. In either event, that's, that is going to do it for the morning roundup. And wow, look at that. Almost 30 minutes. Wow. Kind of surprised. And um, it, anyway, so... Um, this year should be interesting. I'm hoping to uh, get back into the swing of, of creating content. I have a new microphone. I got it from Santa. Santa like laid on me a really, really nice cardioid microphone, and I don't have to use a headset anymore, and it's really nice, and I hope it's going to clean things up. Uh, this one, uh, this particular one is a Rode microphone that has a, a suspension uh, suspension grid for, uh, from a mic stand, which I've had mic stands ever since I was like really good AKG mic stands ever since I was 18 years old and, uh, haven't been able to use them for a few years. So it was like, I was able to pop one of these really nice mic stands out, set this thing on it and man, it was off to the races. So I'm, I'm looking forward to having better audio quality. I'm looking forward to having better content um, I'm, I'm just looking forward to 2019. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm in a great mood, man. This is, this is awesome. Even with all the, the BS going on in, in, in crypto land and people flip flopping on, you know, going like Kevin going or, uh, no. Okay. Just people going that used to be staunch, you know, people in Bitcoin, um, automatically, you know, for whatever reason, at the start of the new year, flip flop and say, Oh, Bitcoin Satoshi's vision from Craig Wright is the true Bitcoin. And I'm like, really? Have you, have you, have you actually looked at, at Craig's past in either event? Um, I'm going to go ahead and, and, uh, cut this one off here and I'm going to try to come back tomorrow. I'm, I may not be able to get back into a daily schedule. We shall see. Uh, but I am going to continue to make content um, just just because I want to. And there's just, God, there's so much cool stuff going on in this space that to not be, to not actually just be part of it because anybody can is, I don't know, kind of ludicrous. Anyway, so with that, guys, I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.